Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm here to share an incredible work with you. Just a quick reminder before we get started. All sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on our Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. This week, we are going to study a relief carving dating from around 3,400 years ago. It features one of the most controversial pharaohs in ancient Egypt, Akhenaten. This piece shows him with his queen Nefertiti and three of their daughters. His reign represents a dynamic shift in both art and religion in Egypt. We're going to use this piece to explore these ideas and how they affected art. Akhenaten was pharaoh in the 18th dynasty during the New Kingdom period. He was the second son of Amenhotep III and his wife, the great royal wife T. His birth year was not recorded, but historians have estimated it between 1363 and 1361 BCE. Akhenaten was actually given the name Amenhotep after his father, but changed it later in life. We'll talk more about this later. He also had an older brother named Tutmos, who was meant to succeed their father as pharaoh, but he predeceased Amenhotep III and Akhenaten was made heir. Records indicate that Akhenaten ruled alongside his father as co-pharaoh for about eight years. When his father died around 1353 to 1351 BCE, Akhenaten became pharaoh in his own right. Akhenaten, like the pharaohs before him, had multiple wives. His great royal wife and queen was Nefertiti. She is quite famous in her own right, mostly because of the beautiful bust of her that was discovered in the early 20th century. The couple had six daughters, and I apologize in advance because I'll probably mispronounce some of them. Mary Otten, Mecca Otten, Anaxumanaten, also known as Anaxunamun, and who married her half-brother King Tut, Neferanafaraten, Tesheret, Neferavrure, and Senpere. He was also married to a woman named Kia and an unnamed woman. The unnamed woman's mummy was found in his tomb and deemed the younger lady by Egyptologists. When her DNA was tested, she was shown to be the mother of King Tut and the half-sister of Akhenaten. Incest was quite common in the royal family because they imitated the gods Osiris and Isis. For the first five or so years of his reign, Akhenaten's policies were fairly consistent with those of the rulers that came before him. But then something changed. He decided that the majority of Egyptian worship would be directed towards the sun disk Aten. This is also when he changed his name from Amenhotep. At this time, the Egyptian capital was in Thebes, a city dedicated to Amun-Re. Akhenaten saw this as a problem and decided to build a new city for his new religion. It was to be called Armana and was about 200 miles away from Thebes. He had architects plan the city so that all of the temples, royal palaces, and government buildings were in the center. This caused quite a stir in Egyptian society. The last couple of years of Akhenaten's reign are a bit mysterious. There are not many records that survive from this era, so historians have had to guess what happened based off what we could find. At one point, three of his six daughters disappear from carvings. This has led to the theory that they died in the plague that was recorded at this time. Akhenaten himself died around 1336 to 1334 BCE. His remains were taken to Thebes to be buried. This would also spell death for his beloved Armana. Without him to propagate the message of Aten, the city and the religion were largely abandoned and things fully returned to normal, under the rule of his son, Tutankhamun. Many of the monuments and buildings in the city were destroyed, and Akhenaten was largely forgotten about until archaeological digs rediscovered it in the 20th century. 
Now that we've established who Akhenaten was, it's time to go over just how drastic of his change his religious policies were. Ancient Egyptians practiced, like nearly all ancient cultures, polytheism, or the worship of multiple gods and goddesses. In their religion, life was seen as a part of a larger journey. The goal was to find ma'at, or harmony. This was also the name of the goddess who would weigh your soul against a feather after death. If your soul was lighter than the feather, you could go to the Egyptian version of heaven. There were dozens of gods and goddesses in the ancient Egyptian pantheon, but we're going to cover just the most important. First is Osiris. He was the god of the underworld because he was murdered by his brother Set. He is almost always portrayed as a green-skinned man or mummy. Osiris's wife was Isis. She was one of the most popular goddesses in the ancient world. In fact, after Egypt was conquered by the Romans, her cult spread throughout the empire. Together, they had a son named Horus. He is the falcon-headed god of the pharaohs. As mentioned before, Osiris was killed by his brother Set. Also known as Seth, he was the god of death. His wife was Nepethys, the goddess of childbirth. She looked very similar to his sister, Isis, in iconography. Together, Set and Nepethys had Anubis. He was the god of embalming and mummification and had a jackal head. Finally, the king of the gods was Amun-Re. He's depicted as a king, complete with all the trappings. Amun-Re was connected to the sun disk Aten, and he was the patron city of Thebes, the capital of Egypt. Each of these gods and goddesses were tended to by the priestly class. This was a highly regulated system, and priests also served multiple functions. Besides their religious duties, priests also could be doctors, scientists, and royal advisors. Only the head priest had direct contact with the deities himself. It was a sacred duty reserved for few. As far as religious texts went, the most famous is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. The term book, though, is a bit of a misnomer. These texts were more like a collection of papyrus scrolls. They contained numerous spells and instructions for getting safely through the trials of the afterlife. Now that we've established some background information, it's time to dive into the relief carving itself. But first, we're going to take a quick break. time to discuss just how significant Akhenaten's religious shift was. Ancient Egyptians had practiced the same beliefs and worshipped the same gods for thousands of years. By dismantling the entire structure to focus on a single entity, Akhenaten was basically threatening Egypt itself. It is important to note, though, that this isn't classified as strict monotheism. Yes, worship was primarily focused on the single deity of Aten, but the worship of other gods was not completely eliminated. Regardless, this is a first recorded example of this type of religion in history. Another way that Akhenaten changed things was by making the royal family the primary leaders of the religion. Previously, as discussed, only the highest ranking priests could personally interact with the gods, but this was changed by Akhenaten to allow himself access to Aten. By doing this, he essentially eliminated the need for priests and an entire class. It was radical and terrifying for the people of ancient Egypt not only because it changed their religion, but also because it changed their art. The relief carving we are discussing today is a perfect example of Armana period art. It shows Akhenaten, Nefertiti, and three of their daughters, and dates from around 1350 BCE. 
Given its size and subject, art historians believe it was used as a personal home altar. It is a tender family scene of worship. Akhenaten carefully cradles one of the girls, bringing her close for a paternal kiss. Nefertiti has one of their daughters on her lap, while the other plays with her earring. The couple sits on a pair of thrones to remind the viewer that they are the rulers of Egypt. The figures all look kind of strange to the modern viewer's eye, though. They have wide hips, large bellies, and lips with thin limbs. The most interesting detail is their extremely elongated skulls. They look a bit like potatoes. It is an interesting depiction that has led some historians to believe that they suffered from a medical condition. Examination of Akhenaten's mummy, though, has not led to a diagnosis. Today, most art historians believe that this was more of a deliberate stylistic choice. There is another theory about them being ancient aliens, but we're not going to go into that. Most importantly, above the royal family is the sun disk Aten. His rays shine down on them in a gesture of blessing. The ones that touch the figures have small hands holding onks. In ancient Egypt, these were symbols of life. By including this detail, it shows Aten as the life giver of the people. This relief carving is an excellent example of Armana period art. In previous art, figures were shown as quite rectangular. Every part was in proportion and had a box-like quality. Art was not created for simple decoration. It was about making a statement. Akhenaten understood this and used it to his advantage. By completely shifting and changing the artistic style, he was showing that his rule would be different. Figures were more individualistic than previously shown. They also were softer and had more curves, a shocking contrast. By instructing artisans to do this, Akhenaten was creating a deliberate break with the past. Although the Amana period did not last for long, it still had a profound impact on Egyptian culture. It was one of the first times that the status quo had been radically shifted. Akhenaten used his power to change the religious landscape, and this relief carving is a physical representation of it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out for our next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform.